If you don't have cash, if you're under stress all the time, if you're doing the desperation bidding, if you're needing to get the next job in order to finish this job, those are all indicators that you're not charging enough. It really deals with more than just pricing, more than just, you know, what are we bidding on this job? It really involves how do we deal with time? How do we deal with capacity? Uh, when we're making decisions, are we looking for margin in all of those areas? Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor Deep Dive. Martin, I heard an, about a new, well, I guess it's not new. It's new to me. Heard about a service that helps with your head trash as a salesperson and giving discounts at the last minute. Right. Changing your pricing, concessions during the sales process, closers.io. I don't know that it would apply to many contractors just because it's probably more of like a package-based selling, uh, not custom quotes and stuff like that. But yeah, I I thought it was it's a fitting thing for are you charging enough? How many how many of the people that are out there do you think are not charging enough because of head trash? Um, a lot. I don't know how many that is, but that's a lot. The idea of closers.io who close the deal for you, they don't get paid unless you get paid, right? Yeah, you're basically but, hiring like a, you 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 hire them out. Uh, I didn't explain what the service is. Maybe I should do that. So you go to closers.io, you go through their process and they either hire a salesperson for you and it's like a headhunting fee or you can hire someone commission only through closers.io and they will be like, the senior salesperson on your team that if you need a deal closed, you send it to them and they get the deal done. There's a discovery process where they learn about what you offer and all this kind of stuff, right. but they're the ones that get the deal done. And then they only get paid through a commission. So if they don't close the deal, they don't get paid. Um, but pretty interesting. My, my first thought is that interesting. My second thought immediately thereafter is a lot of what we'll talk about today and have talked about is building relationships. Yes. And I'm wondering uh, how that would work. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I think it, I'm I think not, it I'm not thinking if, I'm going to go buy it today. <laughs> I think it works if you've got like a huge target, uh, total addressable market, a TAM. Like if you're, if you're going after, you know, a hundred million potential customers or even a million potential customers out there, that's when it's like, okay, yeah, relationships matter, but you know, there can be a handoff to a customer success manager that can build the relationship. Uh, usually a bigger company, not the small time contractor. But I just thought the concept was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some uh, pretty solid guys out there if you're working for closer.io. Oh, yeah. I guess I mean, you get to drink the coffee, right? <laughs> you just Coffee's show up and closers. close deals. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a very specific job. Like for people Man, that people you don't even think, know what the product is, you just show up and yeah, yeah let's get this deal done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it's worth? I don't even know the pricing on it. What do you think it's <laughs> but worth? But you should do it. 11 million? <laughs> I'll sell it to you for 12. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, uh, are you charging enough? I think this is right. something that... It, it's a it's a good topic because most likely you're not charging enough, and that that's standard that you see, right? Probably not charging enough. 
I well, yes. Typically, right? And it's I yeah. mean it's for even the private equity groups that are out there that would go and buy companies, that's one of the first things they do is a price increase. You know? Right. So um, yep. most likely you're not charging enough. Uh, I want to start with just talking about a margin mindset and let's, well, let's just define that. What is a margin, margin mindset? Well, um, we talked about that a lot in business schools. You only deal with the margins, right? And I guess a good metaphor is the ocean. It might be 3000 feet deep, but all the waves are up in the top. So you're not really affecting that 3000 feet. You're dealing with the waves, the margins, right? Mm -hmm. uh, margins in business typically are gross profit margins and net profit margins, meaning of all the activity that's going on, the, the uh, gross profit margin is what you have to pay your overhead and to contribute to profit. And the net profit is what you really did. So not to say you don't care about the deep ocean, all the overhead and all this, but what's really effective are the margins. And that's where your thoughts Eh, it's not that easy to just say that, but that's, that's where the action is. That's where you're, what you're looking to affect. Yeah. So you, and I, I guess a simpler way to state it is that, uh, the common problem of had a, had a new prospective client in today. And I said, how are you doing? He goes, great. I said, uh, making any money? He goes, oh yeah. I said, well, how much? And he said, well, X amount of dollars. And I said, well, is that, that's your net profit or your sales? He goes, oh no, revenue sales. I said, do you make any money? What did he say, Khalil? I don't know. I don't know. Right. That's the opposite of a margin yeah. mindset, right? I He's dealing with the ocean. This. That was today. I saw something good about this. Uh, you shouldn't say I make X in revenue. You should say I do X in revenue. Huh? <laughs> and then you're, That's a good you, point. you make what your net is, but don't say, right. yeah, we, we, we make 10 million a year. Well, no, you do 10 million a year in revenue. What do you How make? How much do you make? Yeah. I don't know. Got yeah. no idea. Well, that margin, that margin mindset, I think it's really just going into every decision, thinking about what's left over. What it what is the margin on this? And it it really deals with more than just pricing, more than just, you know, what are we bidding on this job? It really involves how do we deal with time? How do we deal with capacity? Uh, when we're making decisions, are we looking for margin in all of those areas? Because at the end of the day, like, and I'm, I've been so guilty of this, even I continue to do this. I underestimate what it's going to take, whether that's my capacity in a day, how many things I can get done on my to-do list in a day, uh, what I have time for, uh, how long something's going to take, or what it even costs. Like it, it it's something that you have to be really intentional about building margin in. Um, and I think even just in your life, one of my favorite books is The Ruth Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Oh. And he, he talks about margin in life. Like, do you have margin as you go through your day? Do you have time to sit down and just breathe and have a cup of coffee on the front porch? Do you have time to read the book that you've had on your shelf for years? Do you have time to spend just telling stories to your kids about your childhood or about your parents or, you know, do you have the, that built in time for just margin in your life? And it, it goes the same in business. And I think a lot of times, especially when you're coming from a background that's as an employee and not an owner, 
you are accustomed to, you make this amount an hour or you make this much a year. And so you think that, you know, as you go and you price a job uh, and you're charging someone, well, I'm just going to do it at that hourly rate, but that does not account for margin at all. And so anyways, right. I think that's the margin mindset going in with thinking that, you know, it's a overestimating thing where you're always building in margin to what you estimate, whether it's time, capacity, money, whatever. Right. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, so <laughs> we, we say that if we're going specific, we have a margin mindset and we want to start having that. How do we apply that to the actual pricing that we give to our customers? How do we know if we even have margin? You're big on this. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what bookkeeping is all about. Um, so that you know what uh, your out-of-pocket costs are, your your variable costs, and what's left over between your price and the cost of doing the job, which is usually labor and materials, maybe commissions. Is there anything left over? And you do need to know that uh, in the form of books because back, back of the napkin and Excel spreadsheets in advance – I mean, I like that. They're an exercise of exploring costs and what's out there. But very often people say, oh, I bid with a 40% margin or a 50% margin or a 30% margin. But then when we get to the books and see what really got posted, they have a 10% margin, right? So uh, understanding if you have a margin, a gross profit margin is really a function of having really good books and understanding how to use them. Yeah. And now is it an is it an adequate margin? That's like a second question. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, really important because what is an adequate margin? If you make a penny profit on a million dollar job, you have a margin, but you can't run your company on that, right? Yeah. So literally the step is to understand the difference between variable costs and overhead. And then when you get your margin and express it as a percentage of sales, so if you make $50,000 on a $100,000 sale, uh, gross profit, that's 50%, right? So then you take your overhead and divide it by 50%, and that's how much you have to sell to break even. So if your idea of an adequate margin is to break even, that's how you literally find it. And of course, uh, the idea of breaking even is not the purpose of business, right? I mean, yeah. we want to make a profit and turn it into cash. So you have to add a, a profit target on top of your overhead and divide that by 0.5. And that tells you if you have enough sales and margin to pay the bills and make an actual profit. And really that's done with books. I don't know yeah. how else you're going to do that other than to guess, right? Yeah, you have to, you have to know your numbers, know your costs to be able right. to calculate your break-even uh, and then build in margin to your pricing. Um, and I, obviously that can get challenging for some people more than others, but you mentioned 50% gross profit. I think that's a good starting point. That's what Tom Reber, whenever he was on shared, right. you know, you, you've got to be at 50%. Um, now that may, that still may not have, you know, if you're only selling one job and you need two jobs to cover your overhead with that 50% gross profit, that's not a great starting point. Right. Like you got to do some more sales, you got to get some more in the door, uh, or you got to lower your overhead. So there's there's other things that you can do other than just the pricing of it 
you know, it's reducing expenses, it's doing more sales to make sure that the numbers work. But you have to have the right pricing in, in mind whenever you're going to it. I've got a couple of articles on my website. Uh, one of them is titled uh, Bidding with Intent. Actually, they're all four. They're a series. But a lot of people don't do it. This is kind of doing it backwards, right? Let's mm-hmm. say that your business, these are small numbers, but we'll use them. Your, your business, your machinery, equipment, and guys and trucks, you have the capacity to do $100,000 worth of work a month. Yeah. And at the margins you bid, you've got 50% margins. So that means you've got $50,000 out of that 100000 available to pay your overhead. And let's say your overhead is $75,000. You can't do it. You can't. Because your capacity is not great enough. So it's a good exercise to estimate how much work you can do in a month and then test that with your margins to see if it even has, if you even have a chance, right? Now, there are things to do. Go try to cut that overhead down and things like that. But to understand that sometimes you don't have a chance. You do not have the capacity at the margins you're bidding at to even hope to pay your overhead, let alone make a profit. So then you start to have choices of what am I going to do? Increase my sales? Well, to increase my sales, I got to increase my capacity. You know, uh, if I can't really increase my capacity capacity easily, I've got to raise my margins, which brings us back to the subject here today of am I charging it out? And if you don't have a chance of paying your overhead and breaking even, or paying your overhead, breaking even, and making a target profit, then you have to charge more. Yeah. Right? Let's break into that example even more. I think this is a, I I think it can get lost on people understanding your capacity and how that relates to your margins. So let's just say we are ABC cabinets. We make cabinets. Right. And our capacity, we can produce $100,000 worth of cabinets a month, right? Right. With our overhead. That's my machine costs and equipment. That's my <laughs> rent and my insurance. That's my uh, my full time labor um, in the office. Well, the stuff. the hundred the, have to be paid out of that hundred thousand. Correct. You're you're selling a hundred thousand at the prevailing price or at the price you're charging. Correct. So that's it, and that's all you can do. Yeah. Now, what do you have to do with that? You have to generate enough margin to pay all the things you were just talking about, all the overhead, the rent, insurance, office staff. Yeah. And if it's not there, you can't do it. I mean, you have to change something, right? And when you say you can't do it, what do you mean? Like, like you can't do what? Well, if you have a 50% margin, which I'm using because it makes it really easy to do the math, right? If I have a 50% margin, I generate $50,000 worth of, gross profit that I have to use to pay my overhead and my overhead is more than 50,000. I cannot do it. It's not possible without adjusting the price or reducing the expense. It's not possible. And I really don't know anybody. I can't really think of anybody I've ever talked to where, who had done this exercise. Will my capacity allow me to make a profit? Not 
if I get to sales or anything else, will my capacity at the margins I've been charging allow me to make a profit? Yeah. Kind of working it backwards instead of saying, oh, if I do this and I have this, I'll make this much money. Work it backwards and say, is it even possible? And the yeah. really neat thing about doing that is if you see it written there, you're beating your head against the wall. I, it can't possibly make a profit. You have to change. Yeah. I guess, I guess you don't, you can go broke and die, mm -hmm. but you have to change. And that gives you that courage that we always talk about is what's it take to change prices and how do I yeah. go about it? And you say, well, if you have to, you have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where, um, you know, having numbers in your books, but even just in your sales, you know, tracking your data on your, on the sales side is super helpful. Right. Um, and going back to that ABC cabinets, uh, let's say that you're doing kitchen cabinets and that $100,000 of capacity is really just five kitchens. You can do five kitchen cabinet sets and the average project right. price is 20,000. So that's how you get to the, the $100,000 of capacity. You can, it's not that you have to create, like, it's not that you need a ton of extra, um, capacity to, or a, a huge increase in prices to pay your overhead. If you increased your pricing 20%, where every kitchen is now 25,000, now you're covering your overhead right. just in, right. the, in that same capacity, right? But right. really get down to what is our capacity in terms of the widgets that we produce or the jobs that we can complete? What's our average job price? Calculate what your capacity is and then start to see, oh, wow, this isn't working. The, the math doesn't make sense. I've right. either got to reduce costs on the overhead or I've got to increase my prices and likely you probably would need to do both. You know, if you do not have the capacity to make a profit, you probably already know it. Oh, yeah. Right. You may not call it capacity or you may not call it margins, but you don't have cash. You know, you're working long hours. You're cutting prices to get the next sale to fund the outstanding payroll taxes. You know, it, it's all the uh, all the things that people suffer. I was even looking here. Um, it's all the things that people suffer when they're not charging enough and not actually making money they're maybe they're yeah. generating a lot of sales, but they're not making money. And you probably know it. You just maybe don't know why. Right. Yeah. Well, so I think sometimes take, we take for granted, you, you've said this in the past, I'm trying to remember, but like everything good in the world comes from margin or from profit, basically. Right. Like if you're thinking about the nonprofits that are out there and the good that they do in the world, well, where does it come from? It comes from somebody's right. margin, somebody's profit. But I think it's, I mean, it, just like we said, like the things that you want in life are going to come from margin, margin in your capacity, right. margin in your time, margin in your money. Uh, when you have profit, it allows you to do things you want to do. Um, so anyways, I think that's something to, to talk about in terms of the benefits of having that margin mindset. Right. Yeah. So profit. Profit pays for everything. I think that's the simplest yeah. way. Everything, everything, mm -hmm. government, college, education, nonprofits all come from a share of somebody's profits. It, yeah. pay, it pays for everything. And you, we talked about that in the past. That's your duty. If you're in business, your duty is to create profit. Right. That's uh, my opinion. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I think if you really think about it at a deep level, that's true. Um, okay. So 
I want to talk about like indications, some like leading indicators. And you kind of mentioned some with like not being on me payroll, stuff like that. But what are the leading indicators that you're underestimating on cost that you're not building enough margin into your jobs? You have to have cash, right? Mm. And if you're brand new to business and you've got a certain amount, it might be kind of tight. But as you build profits, it eventually begins to increase your cash reserves, uh, which you might spend on inventory, but it, you, you have to have cash. If you don't have cash, you've never had cash. You're always scrambling for cash. You're borrowing, you're putting money in. You're not charging enough. Yeah. Now, I want to make the point, there are other things than just raising prices that can increase your margin. Lowering costs will do that too. But we're talking about the strategy of increasing prices. So I don't have to mention everything you possibly can do. But if you don't have cash, if, if you're uh, under stress all the time, right? Um, if you're doing the desperation bidding, if you're, if you're needing to get the next job in order to finish this job, which is a symptom of not having cash, those are all indicators that you're not uh, making money and you're not charging enough. And especially the cash being the, the most, the prime indicator, right? Everything else kind of subtends from that. If you have yeah. lots of cash here, you have more courageous bidding. But I think those are, the, those are the kind of things you're working the long hours and you're really starting to think about getting over it. You can't afford really to make things right. You don't hire the best people because they cost too much. Um, can't afford a piece of equipment that could reduce your cost because you just can't pay for it. Um, all of those things are the symptoms of, of not bidding high enough and yeah. which results in not making a profit. Yeah. It's like the death spiral that we've talked about. Right. Where, and then also discounting jobs so that you can win the job because you need it to pay the next one, right. you know, the death right. spiral essentially. Um, but, you know, I think another objection that people have, like, well, Martin, I'm charging as much as I can. My competition will <laughs> eat me alive if I don't, right. if I don't keep my prices where they are. I've even thought about lowering them. What's your response? Well, my response is that I hear that a lot and there's no <laughs> doubt there is competition out there. Uh, there's, we've talked about commercial jobs have a different type of competition yeah. uh, than uh, B2C type of job or B yeah, B to C type jobs. But most of that competition is in your head, right? Here, here's a fact. Your competitors should not set your prices for you. They, they don't have your best interest at heart. Okay. That's one thing. Second thing, you don't necessarily know what your competitors are charging. I have, I have a client who sent me a text from some guy that said, I went with the other guy, you were over twice as high. And so my guy's kind of freaking out. Well, BS, right? I don't know, maybe he was twice as high, but people say that kind of stuff yeah. all the time. The third thing is, if are you selling apples and apples, right? We've talked about this in the past. If you're doing yeah. your bids and you're emailing them, you drive by the guy's house, they're not even home. You figure up some numbers based on square feet of concrete or square yards of concrete and a deck lumber and stuff. And then you go home and you email it to them uh, and they're getting other bids. The only thing you're competing there is a number, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you can't blame your prospective client for choosing a low number because that's all they have to go on. Right. Yeah. So if you want to charge more, you have to give people more. 
And that doesn't mean more square yards of concrete or cubic yards of concrete. It means give them an experience, give mm. them respect, give them your ears so that you hear exactly what they want and respond to it and build a relationship that they value. And people will pay more for the product with a relationship than just the product. Yeah. I mean, it's trust. Some people won't. Well, they're not your customers. Most people will. You know, we've talked before about uh, Stella Artois, mm -hmm. the Artois, however you say it. Their slogan, reassuringly expensive. Yeah. Uh, which I'm, I know we've talked about it before, but that's, that's magnificent. I can think mm -hmm. of many times, especially on some place like Amazon, where there's no interaction, you're looking for some product. Literally, I was looking for game shears here a couple of weeks ago, you know, to mm -hmm. clean pheasants. And all the game shears I saw in there were too cheap. I go, well, that, that can't be a Gerber. Gerber's cost a hundred bucks. This is 20 bucks. And anyway, I wound up buying the highest price one I could, which was <laughs> still less than a hundred dollars. But I was laughing while I did it because I said, that's exactly it. I'm judging just on the price that that can't be that good. Too good to and be true. And that's the same with contractor. Yeah. Too good to yeah. be true. Yeah. I think, uh, with this, you know, how do we get people to increase prices? And you gave the seller Artois example. I think also understanding that you're not just selling a service, you're selling how the service is right. done and, uh, and we how use it the feels how it feels, the experience. We've used the example of Claude Hopkins before with Schlitz beer, right. talking about their method and how they triple filter and it's in a cooling system. And then it's taken that we use these specific hops to make the beer. And it did, it was a huge campaign that was super successful. But I think at like the core of that, it's, you know, get people to buy into your method and they'll buy your service. Right. And so if you well, do the a thing, go ahead. Well, just adding to Claude Hopkins' deal, it kind of went a little farther than that. They Schlitz, this is in the 20s, I think, or 30s. Schlitz got the uh, reputation as being the coldest, purest beer in the United States. And the point of it was every major brewery in the United States used exactly the same equipment and process yeah. as Schlitz did. Yeah. So, so much of it is not actually being different. It's just showing that you're different right it's it's making the claim that you're different it's being different in how you give the experience i think like I, right. I i said just a second ago like getting people to buy into your to your methods get them to buy into your process educate them on how you do things and how you do things differently and again this is going to be more on the residential or consumer side but it can't even work on the uh commercial side if you do it right through relationships but educate on your method, people will buy your service, right? I uh, just made me think we have a mutual client in Denver contractor and he called me on Monday and he had sold a pretty nice little job for more money. And the lady told him, said these words, because you listened to me. There you go. There you go. How much does it cost to listen? You know, 0, 0. 0.0, right? No. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, and the, and the idea of charging more, uh, some people might think it's a ripoff. I mean, I hear that kind of thing a lot. Oh, I don't want to gouge them, you know, things like that. Well, what I'm yeah. hearing is somebody's scared to raise their prices. I don't want to gouge anybody either. It's their choice mm -hmm. to buy from you. But if you're going to 
charge more, give them more. But yeah. we go back to not necessarily cubic yards of concrete or board feet of lumber. Give them an experience, give them trust, give them confidence that you'll be back in a year if there's a problem, but give them more. I have to, real quick story, my sister's an attorney uh, here in Oklahoma, and years ago, she had a sign on her front desk, and it was $1,250 for a con cons consultation. As family law, it's different than personal injury, no pay, no, you know, no recovery, no pay. Yeah. And she did it because a lot of attorneys were trying to conflict her out, which is uh, when they send their client over to talk with you and then they don't sign you up, but you can no longer represent anybody against them. So mm. she put that charge in $1,250, which is a lot. It's still mm. a lot for a, a cons consultation. And I asked her, I said, well, how the hell can you do that? She goes, I give them $1,250 worth of information. It's, we're not just in there shooting the breeze. I'm in there telling them how the cow ate the cabbage. This is how it's going to go down. This you got to look for it. People paid it. There you but go. Give point there is she gave them value, and we're doing that as contractors too. Give them something that they value that isn't just adding to your cost. Yeah, man, I like that. Um, well, and, and this gets into the point of the value proposition, like you said with. Schlitz beer, that's like their coldest and purest. Um, right. It's a way of differentiating from the competition, but it's also a way of saying, here's the value that we bring and not focusing on price, focusing on right. some benefit uh, or feature of your service that adds value other than a, a cheap price. Um, and so we've got, you know, we've listed out in our notes here, Martin, some, you know, you can do it based on trust, communication, clarity, speed, quality. Um, level of service and support, a variety of different things. Um, I think with construction, the most common one that is help, helpful is the communication piece uh, because that's really easy to differentiate yourself on. Um, another one that I've heard of, there's an electrician in, I want to say the Dallas market, and their value proposition is that they are the happiest contractors or happiest electricians, whatever. And when they show up, they're extremely happy. They're, they've got a smile. They hire people that come with a smile on their face, and they're um, they all they train their employees to. Um, I forget the name of this company, man. It's been a while, but they train their uh, their companies, their company employees that when they show up, they always offer to do some sort of household chore, bring in the trash, pick up the newspaper, get the mail, see if you can take the trash out from the trash can. Hey, I see. Like they'll they'll literally go through the right. trash can as they're looking at, or go through the house, and as they see the trash can, they peek at it. And so if it's full, they'll ask to take it out. Do a um, little service. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, awesome. fine, but they, and they're just happy. Right. And, uh, if the, the, the owner of the company said that if they get a Google review that mentions that they're happy, they get a, like a big bonus. Like we're talking like 250 bucks. Like if wow. the customer said you're happy, uh, but it's gotta be like a verified review that was a customer and stuff like that. And right. they tell you not to ask the customer, but anyways. Pretty cool. So that's like a value proposition. That's what people will pay for is that experience that, you know, man, I, that guy was a breath of fresh air to be around when he was working with me, you know? You know, that, that's a wonderful one. And I was, I was just thinking of something I don't think we've mentioned before, but had a contracting company years ago. We sold sprinklers back in the 80s, irrigation. Yeah. 
uh, did commercial jobs, but most of our stuff was uh, residential. I think we put in over 3,000. And we were double at the time. I remember this probably 80. It doesn't matter. A long time ago. But our average sprinkler system was uh, $3,300, I remember. And you could get them put in all day for 1200 right, mm. from other people. People say, well, what's the difference? Say, well, we do it right. You know, we have backflow preventer. We have, you know, we, we, we design things. But we told them up front that it was going to cost them $3,300 before we ever went out. And the idea there was we're not going to waste our time chasing people down. And if they didn't want to buy what we were selling, um, then we didn't want to waste our time. But one of the other things that we had was when we went out with a bid, I was, we always drew them up. We had, it was, it was a real nice bid, but we had, uh, stapled together eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper with what used to be label makers. Like you could put three contacts across yeah, and six or eight down, you know, well, yeah, I don't know how many we had 10 pages of those and had satisfied customer in a phone number and we had permission and we handed that to people and they're looking at 250 people that mm -hmm. all were willing to put their name and phone number on this sheet of paper Usually they would find somebody they knew and would call them, but that darn handout that leave behind wow. just made it tremendous. Now you don't have to have 300 or 200, but on your bid sheets, go out there and find people references mm -hmm. and get their permission and put them on your sheet and on your bid sheet, on your leave behind, on your estimate sheet, yeah. call these people. And they're just like you call them up and people will let you do that. Or it's been my experience. They will let you do that. If yeah. they don't want to get any calls, they'll tell you no. And then of course don't do it. But man, if you start building that up over time where you're handing out 10 names, 20 names, 25 names, 50 names over the years as you go along, I mean, what happens to the doubt factor? Yeah. Boom goes right through the floor. Yeah. It's over with. No, that's, that's a great example. And that kind of gets yeah. into, I mean, that's basically like a review, but it's even more, it's like, Hey, you can talk to this person. It's, it's a higher signal of trust right. that you're, you're right. developing. And I think that gets down to like, you know, most contractors that were, that are listening, a lot of it's referrals. That's probably your biggest channel of, of new business is referrals. And what is a referral? It's, I trust this company. You should use them too. Right. And Referrals are also like a, a Google review. That's me on the internet. Someone said they, they worked with them. I trust that person more than I just trust like an ad. And so that's another form of referral. It's a word of mouth. I'm trusting someone else's right. word of mouth. And th what the reference is basically that too. But it, the more you can build that up where you're, you've got really good word of mouth. And at the end of the day, that's branding. Branding isn't design. It's not messaging. Branding is what do people think of when they see your brand, right? right. That the people define what your brand is, not you, right? So that's the ultimate form of branding. And I think that's how you dif differentiate. I will say that you have to look the part. So branding in terms of design and messaging does matter. If you don't have a website and you're trying to sell premium luxury services, or you're trying to sell that and your website only has phones take or phone photos from a Nokia cell phone 
where you're taking the picture and that's what's up there at stock photos. It's not any of your work. It's not going to fit the bill, right? Um, so you do need to look the part in that sense, but that's how you differentiate is through that brand, um, what people say about your company, right? Uh, so we gave a couple different, you, it was Spring Rain, was that the your, your sprinkler company name? Yeah. 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 We've talked about three-day kitchens in the past too, where they're like, right. hey, we're all about speed and quality. We're we're gonna charge you the, the amount of your house <laughs> yeah. uh to remodel well, their kitchen. But it'll be done in three days. There's three day kitchens are still out there. I'm not sure if they still do this, but years ago it was in and out in three days or the kitchen was free. Yeah. Right. Well, there isn't anybody in the world who's thinking that's going to be cheap, right? Mm -mm. But they're selling people what they want, which is not just a kitchen. They want it in before the big birthday party next weekend, right? Yeah. And and they have found a way to do it and they charge for it, you know? So that's one thing too. Uh, I think Tom Reaver talked about it. Others certainly have talked about it, but a lot of times we sell to our wallet Right. Mm -hmm. If I think $10,000 a lot of money and I go bid somebody and it comes up to be a $40,000 kitchen, I'm thinking, oh man, to me, that's a lot of money. It may or may not be to them, but if that's what you need to get your margins uh, and make money, you have to give them an opportunity. Don't self-deselect, right? Yeah. You, you, you have to don't sell to your wallet. And I, one thing else that I know Tom Reaver says in his book is people buy for their own reasons, not yours. Find out what their reasons are. And that's where the premium comes in. Their mm -hmm. reasons are they want it in three days. Their reason they want respect. Their reason they want you to wear booties when you walk into the house and pet the dog. You know, what? if those are the things they want, give it to them and then and charge for it. And then let them say, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. But don't do it yourself. Don't self-deselect. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think with that head trash, when you do get these, if you're compiling these customer references, that can eliminate some of the head trash because it builds confidence, right? It gives you evidence that is contrary to what's going on, the thoughts that are going on in your head, right? When you have a really nice brand, you're confident in your website and that it's going to educate people, they're going to see it and be like, wow, I love that job that I see that's on your website. Yeah. That gives you confidence because it's evidence that's contrary to the thoughts that are in your head. And right. so if you can work on building that evidence so that it speaks for itself and you don't have to do the speaking and the convincing in your sales process, that's a big way to get over that head trash and feel confident in, in selling more. Yeah. But also when you build those processes inside your company and have that evidence, that's a company that a salesperson wants to work for. That is like, okay, I, this is something I can sell. And then- Something I believe in. Yeah, something they believe in. And so then it's easier to hire a salesperson who you can say, I need this on the, this is what the price has to be because that's what the books say. Right. And then they, you know, they don't have your head trash. They, they're just being, they're doing what they're told, right? So yep. anyways- Kind of full circle. Um, all right. I want to kind of wrap up here. Implementing this. We're, okay. You've convinced me, Martin. We need. I need more margin on my jobs. I'm not charging enough. I need to increase prices. Practically, how is this going to happen? How do I actually do this on the next job? 
Well, the uh, the one thing is you have to prep for it. In other words, your next job can't be the email job that you just raise the price and send it out, right? Yeah. So you have to uh, go out and take the time to establish a relationship. So there is a little bit of a process there. But the next job you can do, you can go out with a servant's heart and talk to the people and listen. What do you want? How can I, you know, help me envision your dream for your backyard or whatever it is we're doing. So that's the first thing. Then when you go back and cut a, or create the bid, we're going to assume you know your costs and that you're bidding accurately. And you need to add 10% to your margin to go from 40 to 50. Then you just do it. And there's yeah. always a difficult time when maybe you don't believe it, but you have to do it. And I, I know I've said it many times on podcasts. You have to pick your chin up, walk through the door, resist the temptation to knock 20% off to close the deal and tell them the price. Yeah. And look confident. If you look confident, they're going to look confident. Yeah. Probably the first one you do, the guy's going to go, you're crazy. This guy over here is doing it for half. How come you're so much more expensive? You go, I have no idea what that guy's doing. I've been doing this for 20 years. This is what I have to charge to take care of you. And that's my price, you know, just, yep. and you have to have that confidence and then you'll get them. It, yeah. It'll start coming and then it won't be an exercise. It'll be what you do. It's what you normally do. Yeah. This is what I have to charge to take care of you. I think one thing, one piece of advice when you go and do this that I have is make sure that when you're gathering this evidence that you have a large enough sample size, don't be discouraged because yeah. you went to three people and all three said no. Oh, absolutely. Whatever. Make yeah. like set a number. Say, hey, we're committed to this new pricing. We're going to do 50 bids. 50 bids at this pricing. If we have issues after 50, then we'll we'll address it then. Until we'll then, we're sticking to it. We're committing. And I think something that you need to be aware of is that you shouldn't be saying yes to every single job. You shouldn't be winning every single job. You You can't do every single job. So you may bid, let's say you bid 50 and a quarter, 50 jobs. You shouldn't be winning all 50. It it means that you are saying yes too much and you're not saying no enough. Because just if you look at the 80-20 rule, you're, you can't do every single one. Um, yeah, so 80% of your profit is going to come from 20% of them too. Exactly. So, so you, you need to say no more. And that's one way of, of, uh, of understanding it is, hey, we're, we're going to lose some of these. Go into it understanding that. And if you're losing them, they weren't the right job. You know, I have to, you talk about persevering. I don't think you use the word, but you're talking about it. Made me think of a mutual friend of ours, a guy named Tim Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y. He's an artist okay. here in town. You know Tim. Well, I'm, it doesn't matter. I'm struggling. Oh, man. okay. Well, Tim Kinney has a unique uh, style. He paints with a knife, not with a brush. And he paints aspen trees and lots of colors. And, okay. and uh, when he, he decided he wanted to do that, he made some paintings he got in his car and he drove to Santa Fe, New Mexico and Taos in Breckenridge and Vail and Scottsdale and all the places uh, where Western art sells. And he got 99 no's. No, 98 no's. Personally took the picture in, went to the gallery owner, said, do you want to carry these? They said, no. He was, I think it was in Breckenridge, Colorado. He 
stepped out for the 99th time, and the lady took it. And since wow. then, that's all he does. That's how he makes a living. He, he's been doing it a long time now. But I always, we always kid around, and I, I use him as an example of, could you take something as personal as your paintings, 99 walking in the door, and somebody looks at you and goes, nope, and stay after it, and then eventually get it, and be a great success at it. So, yeah, anyway, I mean, I, the 98 no's were worth it. I mean, if you ask them today. They, yeah, how many no's would I have gotten to taking some of my art around? I don't know if I'd have gotten to nine, let alone 90, right? Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, you just um, got to do it. You know, obviously, this is an important topic. It's something that as you go into 2024, everyone should be thinking about um, in this new year. And don't don't delay it. Don't wait for the perfect time. The best time to plant a tree was 90 years ago or whatever the saying is um was yesterday so start yeah. today right um other things we'll link to the price increase calculator that you have on your website martin i think that's a valuable tool yeah. here yeah. um and then just go do it um just go do it so yeah be make sure you're bidding at least 50 percent margins so you take your cost and double it yep if uh we have any listeners that have recently increased prices or you listen to this episode you're going to try it reach out to us. We want to hear some stories of listeners who have increased prices and the impact that it's had on their business, on their life, on their mindset, whatever it is. Uh, if you know someone out there that needs to hear this, maybe you're an employee at a company and you're seeing some of these signs that we don't have cash, that we're over capacity, whatever it is, send this to your boss. Uh, we'd love for them to listen. And go ahead and subscribe, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcasts. And thank you for following us. You can Subscribe to our newsletter in the show notes as well and get notified every time an episode comes out. Uh, thanks for listening and hope you have less stress, more time, and more money. See you, Martin. See you, Kendall. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.